Hey, hey, Timmy, Timmy Treggle, this is for you. Ha ha! Hang on, it's very blurry. Ah, fucking pigment. <laughs> the Getting to Know You podcast has gone international this week. I have a contact I met on Facebook named Alex Rains. He is from Australia. I'm sure his upbringing was far different from mine, and I want to know more about it. Alex, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, no problem, Tim. Thanks for having us. Well, you've seen this show before. I think you said you've watched them all, so I do appreciate that. Um, tell me, where did you? Uh, how was it like growing up out there? Where, where were you born? Uh, I was born in uh, Townsville, which is the my closest city. Um, lived in town for uh, only a, a short period of time, about a year, and then. Uh, Excuse me. Well, I have... Oh, dinner. Sorry, I have dogs too. No, oh, can you not? Jeez. No dogs. Go on. Shoot. Sorry. Um, yeah, no so I was born in Townsville. Uh, my mother died when I was about a year old. Uh, so we moved in with uh, my grandparents uh, for a short while, and then dad bought a block of land out at a a satellite suburb called Alligator Creek, which is about half an hour away from the city. Um, we had five acres there. He planted mango trees and uh, like a lot of people moved into that area at that time, uh, built a shed, moved into the shed and then built the house while living in the shed um, as, as we all did. Um, yeah. So I've lived out, I still live in Alligator Creek now, different house, but I've lived out here since I was yeah three or four years old. Um, and, yeah, so we're sort of out in the sticks um, for, for um, want of a better word. We're in a rural residential area. So the house blocks range from an acre to five acres, 20 acres. There's a few bigger. Um, the little subdivision I'm in is surrounded by a friend's cattle property, which is about, I think, 6,000 acres. Uh, so, yeah, everything's a bit sort of tucked in against the foothills out here and there's plenty of scrub and wildlife and uh, there's a national park about oh, half a kilometre across the road, the, the boundary of it, which is... Uh, oh, several tens of thousand kilometers uh acres of um scrub and and bit of rainforest and and stuff and the alligator creek uh, uh flows through the the middle of it and through the middle of the suburb how many so, acres are you on now uh we've just got one and a half acres uh and it's your, your, your wife and daughter and four dogs i believe uh yeah, three dogs. We lost one last year, but hmm. um, three dogs, a wife and a daughter, yes. And I know uh, I hear roosters and chickens back there, or chooks, I think. Uh, yeah, chooks, yeah. We have one rooster and about uh, nine hens. Uh, but most people around the neighbourhood have yeah, assorted fowl. The neighbour beside us has, uh, I think, white Sussex. She breeds white Sussex hens and, and roosters uh, she's also a, a apiarist she's got 
about a dozen beehives um, there too. So yeah, there's plenty of noise in the in the area, whether it's from the the, the animals or or from the domestic animals. Yeah. Well, let's back up a little bit, uh, if I may. What happened to your mother? Ah, uh, she caught leukemia and mm. died. Mm. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Um, so growing up, were you, uh, what was the school system set up? How was that set up over there? Ah, right. Well, I started primary school uh, in 1981, which is, so it was grade one. We had grade one through seven was primary school and then eight through 12 is high school. Uh, we had a bus run that came past the house. So at about half past seven every morning, we'd trot out to the front of dad's place and wait under a tree for the bus to come past. Um, the Townsville at that stage had lots of little bus companies, not one big sort of citywide company. Uh, and the uh, a local business had the contract so we would either get picked up in an extremely luxurious, big, long denning um, we called the AAT because that was the name written on the side, which was a lovely big coach, or we had something from the 1950s Bedford type thing with uh, windows that uh, you had to slide and all of the uh, all of the trim around the windows was so ancient that it was cracked and and most of the windows wouldn't slide and so you were stuck on these hard vinyl cracked seats with absolutely no seat belts um, as on the, the trip to school. So trip yeah, so we got picked up. We were sort of last or towards the end of the run and we'd be on the bus from half past seven through to maybe half past eight. Uh, and then in the afternoon, left school at three o'clock, jumped on the bus, and we were home by yeah quarter part quarter to four. The bus, the run home was always quicker. Um, the bus would carry kids from every school on the way in, and then disperse them. And then on the way home, we were the last school to be picked up, so we just got picked up and and then dropped off. Yeah, so. And was, where did you where did you occupy your time with in the afternoons after school? Ah, well, having uh, five acres of land and a mango orchard, uh, we had plenty of time to do uh, ride motorbikes, ride push bikes, climb trees. Uh, I'm only well, Dad's place is only uh, two hundred meters from the banks of Alligator Creek, and I had a friend who lived up the road about half a K and I would go up to his place a lot. We'd head down the creek, fish, swim, catch yabbies, um, build catch, forts. Catch what? All that sort of rubbish. All the fun things. What were you catching? Uh, yabbies, uh, freshwater prawns, freshwater okay. crayfish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, how was uh, was high school? Were you drawn into into or, or excuse me, secondary school? How was uh, were you drawn to anything academically growing up? Uh, not really. I mean, I didn't mind school. I was, you know, quite bright. Apparently, I 
won a few awards for academic um, prowess. Uh, I was really good at maths, but uh, didn't really apply myself too much in high school. Um, and, yeah, we had a lot of uh, general sort of multi-strand science, um, which I quite liked. You had a bit of everything in the, in the thing. My favourite class was something called Marine Studies, which uh, every long period, which is a double period, at least once a week, we would take out about a dozen um, 10 and 12 foot aluminium dinghies with eight horsepower motors and take them down the local boat ramp and motor up and down the creek and learn some um, boating skills. And on other, other lessons, we'd take cast nets down to the local creek and catch bait and catch small fish for the... Um, we had some resident fish in, in tanks in the classroom. We had a, a stonefish that was about a foot long um, and sat in the bottom of the tank. It did absolutely nothing until you, until you threw in a couple of mullet and then it would zoop up the mullet and then go back to absolute stillness for the, the rest of the day. So marine studies sounds like a far more interesting course than anything that was available to me uh, when I was in school. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Ah, well, yeah, we did everything from uh, a bit of learning about the, the ecosystem, the fish, and, and what through to uh, the how to tie fish hooks on properly. Um, the teacher had a nice big um, fiberglass boat, and when we did the school camps for the subject, uh, he'd take his boat and we'd motor out to Hinchinbrook Island. I think we went up and just fish. It spent a lot of time fishing. Um, it was Townsville is on the mouth of the Ross River. Um, and like most of the cities over here, we're really close to the coast. There's not, so everybody uh, yeah, grows up fishing and playing in the water. So this was a really, really popular um, subject to get into but um, yeah any other pleasant memories from school oh yeah I used to play rugby union um, our school was uh, primarily a rugby league school but because um, being a public school um, but there were a number of private schools in town and they played rugby union because they were better than us, so they played union. However, we, in grade 12, we coerced one of the PE teachers who was a union man that we needed to have a rugby union team. So he organised things with the other schools and we ended up playing matches against the private schools, like the grammar school and cathedral, sort of. The, and we didn't do too bad. We we won the odd match. Um, we lost more than we won, but we were able to score points off the best school in town who had gone um, undefeated for for a year and nobody had scored a try off them and we did in our first game. Uh, yeah, I got knocked out in one match uh, against, against uh, Cathedral School. I remember going into a, a tackle and doing all the right things, you know, turn, you know, hold the ball up so that your teammates can 
can get the ball and get it away. And that was the last thing I remember until um, I picked myself up off the ground about 30 metres away. And one of my teammates said, why did you let him do that? I said, what do you mean? He said, he just picked you up by the scruff of the neck and threw you out of the tackle. I said, well, not much I could do because I was everything went black for a while. Uh, but yeah, that was a fairly memorable um, moment in school. Yeah. That sounds pretty wild. Uh, was there any university uh, following secondary school? Uh, well, no, there, uh, I went to uh, uh, agricultural college for my tertiary education. There is a big, University here in Townsville, the James Cook University, JCU, who does huge amount of stuff. Uh, but I insisted um, the fact that everyone was telling me that I was going to go to university because I was so clever that I bucked and said, well, I'm not going to go to university then. That'll show you. So I went to the Burdick Agricultural College and did two years there uh, in an associate diploma of applied science course. And that was probably the two best years of my life. It was absolutely wonderful. Tell me about that. Uh, well, we were in a little town called Clare, which is uh, maybe three quarters of an hour south of Townsville and in between the next big town, which is Air, but out to the west. So sort of isolated a bit, but not too bad. And the college was on a massive property property. Uh, we had, I can't remember how many um, tens of thousands of acres the, the, the college owned, but it was a big place. Uh, we did, I was in the horticultural, agricultural side, so because um, there was also a beef, animal husbandry side. Uh, we grew our own sugarcane, um, harvested our own sugarcane, dragged... You know, we drove the harvesters, we drove the haul-out tractors down to the siding and put the sugarcane bins on the on the trains. We did everything from ploughing and seeding and fertilising with tractors through to the combine harvesters where we headed our own sorghum and, um, and then baled loosen. We had, oh hundreds of acres under broccoli that we would pick in the mornings and ship off to market. Uh, we had a piggery, we had a dairy, we had a butchery, and everything was run by the students. So the, we had, uh, uh, obviously there was a few instructors, so we had an instructor that was dedicated to their, their little spot. So we had the, the butchery instructor was a butcher. He also... Um, Pilot, uh, moonlighted as the uh, plant operator. So he also did taught us to drive bulldozers and graders and forklifts and stuff. Um, but yeah, every morning, two students would get up at 4 a.m., find the get the little tractor and take it down to the dairy. And the cows would come up because they'd hear the tractor coming and we'd milk out the cows, take the milk to the kitchen and get ready for the day. And, yeah, so a lot of the food that we ate was produced on farm. Um, yeah. But, oh, so we did everything. We, yeah, it was fun. We, we learnt welding. We learnt vehicle maintenance, uh, small engine maintenance, 
engineering. Uh, some classes did uh, laser leveling with the, the big, massive big tractors to level paddocks out. So we were all 16, 17, 18. So it was a pretty, uh, it was a lot of money uh, under the direction of some very, very uh, young people. But we're all there for the, for the same purpose, really. We're all generally bushy kids or farm kids or um, there were a few kids that got kicked out of the city because they were going down the wrong path and this was as far away from Brisbane as the uh, as their parents could get them. Uh, and that was some interesting folks. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, we, we just spent a lot of time doing things and learning, you know, whether it was, yeah, I'll say we, we stripped down Holden Red Motors and rebuilt them. We... Um, you know, stripped down lawnmowers, we serviced the tractors, we serviced the bulldozers, we did, you know, sort of everything, yeah. Any uh, any interesting or, or funny stories about the folks from Brisbane? Ah, uh, yeah, I had like one that. bloke, uh, one one friend called uh, Drugs, uh, his name was, but he was on drugs. Uh, he tried to top himself in the first week we were there because it happened to be the anniversary of one of his friend's death. And uh, yeah, woke up early, really early one morning with hearing a massive commotion. We all lived in one, In there were three dorms for the boys and a dorm for the girls. Uh, so I was on the top floor down one end, close to the, the toilet and shower facilities and heard absolutely ridiculous commotion coming out of the, the showers. And a few of us rushed out and found um, yeah, him under the under the hot water in an absolute state. Uh, he'd taken all of his. He was a uh, epileptic, and he'd been saving up all of his uh, tegretol or whatever the the drug he was on for several weeks, and then decided he was going to to do himself in on the anniversary of his mate's death. So we were hanging over the shower stalls throwing towels over the hot water coming out of the shower because it was on full hot water while someone else scooted in underneath to in order to turn the hot water off and, and open the door and get him out. But uh, he, well, he survived and, and stayed on at college. And, um, yeah, that was the first week. That was, yeah, <laughs> that was a fairly memorable, um, memorable experience. We had people, uh, there was one one bloke who uh, called Swinger. He had, he had an arm that didn't work properly. We're, so it's probably not politically correct, but yeah, he had an arm that was um, dead, hung by his side. So he was called Swinger because it just it swang. And he was driving one of the haul-out trucks or tractors one day and took a corner too fast and rolled it and Tracked end up on its side, and the cane bins ended up in the middle of the paddock, and and that one of the other kids came racing back into the common room and announced, "It's tool time!" And we all knew what he was meant because uh, we knew who was doing what, and uh, and yeah, so there was a roundup crew of uh, instructors and students to take uh, organize a crane and go down there and flip the thing back up and check the tractor and put the cane back on and 
find a front end loader to pick up the sugar cane and put it back in the bins and and uh, yeah, so had a lot of those sort of things happen. Um, luckily, I didn't get myself damaged too much in the uh, in any industrial things. I had a few alcohol in related injuries, but uh, yeah, it was a dry campus, which meant you really had to hide it well. Uh, but uh, you know, Friday, Saturday nights, the instructors did their last rounds by about 11 o'clock, make sure 11 o'clock and all was well, and then they went home. They lived on little houses on campus, but, you know, spread out over 20 acres of the of the main sort of campus ground. So there was a, a bit of uh, certainly some little not so well lit areas that we could congregate and um, and yeah kick on on yeah the on the on the early weekend nights yeah there was also a a creek that ran past us called Bradder Creek and a lot of students would just drive down the Bradders and with a case of beer from the the local club and spend yeah spend the weekend uh, yeah down there. And of your alcohol-related injuries, is that fighting or just stupidity? Oh no, just absolute um, alcohol poisoning. Yeah, I'm not oh. a fighter. Yeah, just um, too oh. young, too much scotch, um, mm. and yeah, had fell you, asleep. Had you been or passed been, out? Had you been a drinker Sorry. before then? Had you been a drinker before? Oh. Well, I've always drunk beer, you know, from teenagers, but I'd, I'd never. I'd never been a spirit drinker. My dad was never a spirit drinker and neither was my granddad. So, And you yeah, started with beer. So, yeah, the first time I, I drank spirits properly, uh, there was three of us. We had a bottle of Pepsi, a bottle of uh, Stone's Green Ginger Wine and a bottle of 100 Pipers Scotch. And we all just had our pannikins. Um, uh, do you know what a pannikin is? I do not. Okay, uh, an enamel, like a big enamel mug, so okay. enamel coated steel mugs. Okay, and we would pour uh, equal thirds into our pannikins and and drink them, and in less than what seemed like very little time, that everything was empty. Um, everything was really funny, and I couldn't walk properly, and uh, that was early Friday. Well, yeah, Friday night, early Saturday morning. Uh, and I was a bit sick, and then I went to bed, and then I woke up on Sunday afternoon um, with people telling me stories of how they did a roster to come in and check on me to make sure I was still breathing during the weekend. Um, I ended up with several rounds of kitchen duty because if you were on college and you missed a meal without telling them that you were going to be away, you got kitchen duty. So me sleeping through all the meals for two days straight, being passed out in my bed, I uh, accumulated, uh, yeah, uh, about a week's worth of uh, of washing pots and pans and stuff. Uh, oh, are there any more uh, any more school stories to share before we move on? Oh, probably a heap, but um, yeah, no, um, I might save some for another day. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, let me ask a question I meant to ask. Did uh, it, it came to mind when you were talking about waiting on the bus, uh, waiting for the bus, rather? Uh, when did your 
association with animal handling begin? Ah, well, um, well, we've always had animals. Uh, we had a farm, so well, mostly mangoes, but we had a flock of goats. We always had chickens. We always had geese, savage, bloody creatures they are, the geese, um, and dogs. So animals, you know, you grow up around them, you get used to them. Uh, Dad used to, and we had snakes. Dad used to dispatch of the snakes generally with a shovel, um, which is not so environmentally friendly. Um, but as he got older, he didn't like killing as many things and being, you know, maybe being ex-army, he didn't like, he sort of got over killing things a bit. Um, so he learned how to just catch them and move them out of the road. The, the only ever, if the snakes came up around the house, the little chihuahuas that, that he had would would go off and, and bail them up, you know, run around, around circles around the snake and he'd deal with it. But um, he showed me how to, how to do it. And so once you do it a few times, you sort of get, you know, once you get the adrenaline under control and you can do things nice, you, I just started doing it. And you know, I never, never ever went out of my way to, to hunt down snakes. Um, but once you, once you, once people hear that you can do it, um, then suddenly you end up getting phone calls from somebody who heard that you were okay, you know, that you caught a snake for them and, and could you come and move one out of their house and that sort of thing. So it's sort of just a bit, um, bit organic and just, yeah, people ring up and, and that. So I've done a couple of snake handling courses as well, done the, the right thing, did one with national parks and with another uh, reptile handling mob in town and you pick up brown snakes and you know, which are the deadly the, our deadliest snake, the, the eastern brown, um, and catch goannas and, and things. I don't like catching goannas because they're very, very scratchy. They're big claws, very, very big claws. I realized I skipped a question here. Uh, tell me about your father's army service and what your parents <laughs> did, or excuse me, what your father did for a living while you were growing up. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so... My father was uh, in the army when I was born. He was a soldier. He was with Ramey, the um, Royal Australian Electrical and Mechanical Engineers. Uh, he was a fitter and turner by trade, went into the army and, and got the trade while he was in the army. He started off as a small arms fitter, um, servicing, I think, anything from a two-inch mortar down to sidearms. Um, he volunteered for Vietnam. Went over there in oh, 69, 70, I think he went over. Went over with one regiment and came back, got transferred into another one and then came back with the second one. So might have gone over with five RAR and came home with one RAR or something, depending on, on the how they rotated through. Uh, when he came home, um, he moved back into back into home and found that it was a bit uh, a bit noisy and got transferred to a place uh, just up the coast called Papua New Guinea, um, which is an island to the north of Australia. It's a separate country, but at that stage it was under uh, Australian protectorate. It was essentially part of Queensland, but 
it was still their their own their own country. Uh, he was based in Port Moresby, um, which is the capital. And my mother, uh, who had the poor taste of being born on the wrong side of the world, uh, she was a pom, um, had got a organised a job um, and wanted to emigrate. And her and a friend got jobs as telephonists um, with a company that was based in Papua New Guinea. And so they rocked up in New Guinea um, and the social circle for European people was rather small um, and dad and mum met and got married within three months. Um, wedding was up there uh, with no family. Um, hers didn't, wouldn't come over from England and uh, mine, so my grandmother um, wouldn't have travelled up from to, uh, to Papua New Guinea either. It was sort of, uh, uh, it was still a bit of a, like the wild jungles of Borneo type um, places. New Guinea was a bit um, a bit wild and, and woolly back then. I think it still is. Uh, but yeah, so they got married was that, there. Was that after you were born? No, no, before I was born. Okay. So that was in the, that 1972. Uh, and they came back to Townsville. Um, my sister was born in 1974. I was born 18 months later. And then a year later, mum was dead so uh, we moved in with our Australian grandparents um, who lived in a town just down the road called Air. I think they were in Brandon one of the sort of outer suburb small towns that were connected to it and we lived there until the shed got built um, on the block of land dad took 18 months off compassionate leave for the army and um, in that time yeah we built the shed moved in to the shed and then got the house built and moved into the house and then he's lived there ever since. My sister still lives there. Um, and I only moved out when I got married um, 20 odd years ago. And how much longer was he in the army? Uh, he served for 20 years. He retired after 20 years. Um, he exited as a warrant officer, a WO1, the first class warrant officer. He was the ASM of the the acting sergeant major of the North Queensland Field Workshops, so he was in charge of uh, yeah all of the all the mechanics um, workshops in the Lavrak Barracks and the Jazine Barracks, which are in Townsville. Um, so Lavrak Barracks is the our big um, big army base that is in Townsville. Uh, was uh, was military service ever in the cards for you? Ah, uh, not really. Um, probably enjoyed running around the bush, you know, pretending we were in the army when I was kids. Uh, when I floated the idea past dad once that I should join the army, he pointed out that I've, um, between uh, a little bit of asthma and a few other little um, physical problems that I've got, dodgy feet, um, and he said, you don't have to, um, and, you know, he wasn't. He didn't want to force us to to follow in his footsteps. It was something that he wanted to do, so um, he did it. But uh, yeah, he he didn't try to sell me on on um, joining the army, and so yeah. And you said um, you have a God sister. Didn't. 
You said you have a sister, right? Yep. What does yes, she, I do. What does she do? Ooh. At the, she's only just changed careers in the last year. And I, I don't know exactly what she does these days. She was uh, in the clerical uh, data entry type um, industry. She... She was a. She is a extremely fast and accurate typist. You know, Hundred plus words a minute with ninety nine percent accuracy type stuff. Ridiculously fast, and she would get. Um, she worked for an agency for a long, long time, and if people needed, if businesses needed, um, sort of catch up, you know, their, everything was behind. They would sort of throw her in. And she just blitzed all their data entry stuff and got, caught them back up. And then they all offered her full-time work. And she said, no, she didn't want to be stuck in the same place. So she went back, you know, she just kept working out of the agency. She ended up taking a job with the state government um, for uh, a mob called Q-Build, which stands for Queensland Build, um, which is the construction industry regulators, etc. And she worked in the their office for... For a long, long time. Only, only really retired a year or so ago. Uh, she need to change. She's got a uh, a young child. Well, eight. I think she's eight. It's my niece. I'm sure she's eight. Yes, eight, eight, eight and a half. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she still lives in the same house. Uh, her and a partner moved in. Um, and yeah, so they live down there with dad. He's retired from everything. After the army, he spent, oh, another 10, 15 years in the law, local law courts. He'd actually been a clerk of the court prior to him volunteering to join the army. So uh, he's always liked that sort of procedural type um things so yeah he went back and became uh, orderly magistrate's assistant type thing in the the local domestic uh, law courts and would travel they did circuit courts so Townsville being the major centre here they'd sit for I think three weeks in a month and then the other week they would fly to uh, Rockhampton or to Cairns or to Gladstone and and hear their other local cases and he would just travel with the, the judge and sort things. How old is dad now? Oh, he is pushing, he's 79 actually in about a week's time. Okay. Actually having dinner, having dinner, dinner at the pub with him this coming weekend. So, Good deal. What does he do in his spare time these days? Uh, he bird watches. He, okay. um, yeah, he's. Oh, well, he's joined the uh, a bird life bird watching group in Townsville, um, and he writes the a column in the local newsletter about the birds that are around at the moment and some of his bird watching adventures. Um, he travels a little bit with it. He's been up to the to the Cape, to the up to Cape York Peninsula, which is the 
sort of that northernmost sort of skinny little tip of Australia that pokes out before it hits Papua New Guinea um, and it'll venture west for uh, a couple hundred k's out to Pentland and stuff and there are some known water holes that attract lots of different birds at different times of year so but he'll go out there and, and bird watch. Uh, he's also on the an advisory committee for the because of the birds for the Townsville Port area. Um, so he'll yeah, meet with the, the Port of Townsville and you know, does demos. The bird life uh, mob do demonstrations at schools and stuff as well and talk about the importance of wildlife and birds and habitat and stuff with the school kids. So, yeah, yeah he keeps himself busy. Sure, good for him. Uh, well, let's put, let's put the spotlight back on you here. So you finish up agricultural college. How does your career develop? And uh, when on the timeline did you meet your wife? Ah, right. Well, um, they're two, two. Yes. I finished college, uh, graduated in 94 um, and got a job immediately out of college and started work. I think about a week or two later on a local cane farm in a little town called Gairu, uh, which is yeah, half hour south of us. Uh, I lived on, we had a property as well. Dad bought a property uh, on the Gairu Woodstock Road, which is um, at the back of the hills, about 20 acres. Really nice ground. We grew pawpaws and stuff on it. So I lived there in the, in the shed um, and would commute to Guru via push bike. It was about uh, eight k's. Was that five miles in your speak from the from where I lived to the to the school to the um, to work? And yeah, I was just a farm hand there. So I drove tractors, rolled up fluming, rolled out fluming, slashed, rolled up more fluming, rolled out more fluming, um, and yeah. What's fluming? Uh, fluming is uh, it's a big lay flat thin uh, irrigation plastic pipe essentially it's, uh, okay. it's not much thicker than a thick plastic bag like a really thick plastic bag um, okay. and when it's fully engorged with water it's maybe a foot through and you'd roll the all the cane fields uh, uh, planted in in lines, in furrows. So you'd roll the fluming out along the headland um, and there would be a hole in line with each drainage ditch between the furrows um, and you'd put a little black plastic cup called the fluming cup in each one and they you'd cut the end off them. There were little graduated sections. So if you wanted to put a lot of water on the paddock, you put the big open one in there. If you wanted to put a little bit of water on the paddock, you put a small one in there. And depending on the length of the paddock, you sort of you um, change the, the cup sizes around. So you'd roll it up at the once you'd watered the paddock, you'd roll it all up, and they they'd pack up into a on a little cable type reel, and you know hundreds and hundreds of meters of fluming. You know you might end up with maybe a, something about the size of a couple of forty-four gallon drums stacked together. And then you just pick that up on the tractor and take it to the next paddock if it, or yeah, and unroll 
output for the for the next round of irrigation. So um, all the cane in our areas irrigated. Uh, North Townsville in the wet tropics area, that's generally they call dry land irrigation. Rains enough up there that um, that they don't need to irrigate. Whereas down here at the in the dry tropics, we need to put water on things. Where did your career take you after that? Uh, well, I lived there. I worked there for a bit over a year um, and figured out that uh, the boss having three sons that were two were older than me and one was younger. And so I was only ever going to be the general um, dog's body uh, farmhand and never, there's no career advancement really available there. And after a year of getting told three different orders from three different people at the, at the, in the same day and only being able to accomplish one or two of them, um, got, I got, a, it got a little bit, uh, a little bit not fun. So I looked further afield for, um, for some work, ended up applying at the, the local TAFE uh, college for a uh, trade cookery and ended up doing that for a, a bit and then took a job in the, the local service station as a cook. So, And uh, where along the line did you meet your wife? Was that still later? Uh, yeah, still later. It, it sort of, yeah. So I cooked for uh, about... 18 months, two years at the service station, um, during which time my, sorry, my grandfather passed away. Um, he'd been, well, both, my grandmother passed away while I was at agricultural college um, and my grandfather passed away a few years later. Uh, but my grandmother had had a stroke uh, and was in the kitchen while she had, when she had a stroke and collapsed and he, out of instinct, caught her. Um, and then damaged his back greatly as he was uh, 90 when he caught her. She was 89. Um, and so the last few years of his life, we were, my sister and I um, spent a lot of time keeping his health up, um, looking after him um, until, he, until he passed uh, and, and uh, yeah, he passed while I was working at the service station. Yeah. So I worked there for a, a couple of years and uh, decided that I... Hey, Jenna, that's enough. Um, I wanted to go overseas, um, like most Australians, you know, get the urge to, to go overseas to... Europe and have a look around uh, and having hey hey they're fine having a, I a can British... still, I, I hear you loud and clear yeah having a British um, parent and I had uh, two aunts and half uh, four cousins in England so I got made you know we'd always always kept contact with them um, and so I said oh, I'm coming over to England so I went over to England for a year and uh, lived with both sets of aunts and uncles and cousins during the time. 
Uh, I didn't advance my career too much in while I was over there. I worked as a, a night shelf stacker at a local supermarket, and um, which funded my my little trips and my snooker playing and beer drinking and and uh, kebab eating, which is what we spent a lot of time doing. I came back from England quite quite a lot heavier than when I went over. Uh, I was on good pasture. And when I came back from England, uh, I joined a local theatre group um, with my father. He was He's always been an act, in, active in the community in a thousand different uh, groups and associations. And one of them was the, the Outback Players, which was our local amateur theatre group. Um, and after spending a year overseas, I hadn't seen him. So I thought, oh, I better... He seems to be spending all this time at these plays. I better join up and um, so I can see him. So I joined up and happened to meet a, a girl there who was also in the group, and we acted in a in a uh, uh, what do I call it theatre restaurant um, together, and hit it off and. I moved in and, and we got married several months later. Um, and that was 20, almost, ooh, yeah, it'll be 22 years in a couple of months' time. Um, well, where did your career take you? And I know you eventually had a daughter. Yes, I'll have a son then. Oh, okay. Daughter. So we got Pigeon Pair. Um, no, yeah, so my son uh, turns 21 in a couple of weeks' time, and he's he lives on campus at the local university. He's doing a Bachelor of Computer Science. So, and he doesn't have a car or a license or the desire to get a license. So, um, and we don't have the desire to drive him um, an hour or so every day uh, in and out of university. So, he got a, he got a, uh, uh, a dorm room there and he lives in, in uni so it's only the three of us home daughter work, actually works at servo in the kitchen that i used to work in she graduated from school a year or so ago um they finish in we finished high school november or end of the year is november uh, end of november very early december um high schools finish a little bit earlier than the primary schools or the, the later later grades um yeah, she, so she's been working at the local service station for the past six months. But she, she's got a car, so, um, but she's not looking, at, not looking at moving out anytime soon either. So um, it's, we're, we're getting to the age of being empty nesters, but um, apparently the nest is far too comfortable. So, yeah, I, I can't see us um, evolving past that. It's raining again. That's a, a bit of a catch-22, I guess. Yeah, you want them there, but uh, you I, I can see you, anybody wanting some freedom later uh, in the later years. But what, what is your, uh, what occupies your days now? Uh, what, what are you up to? Ah, well, I, um, well, I'll give you a quick, a quick run through. Once I came back from England, met my wife, I was still working uh, as a cook at the service station. Uh, and evolved to 
work on the, the front petrol selling side of things, uh, changed jobs to a different site, became a manager, managed service stations until uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, and I got really crooked. I got a, I picked up a mosquito-borne virus called Barma Forest, which is same sort of thing as Ross River virus, uh, dengue fever, that sort of thing. Um, really knocked me about. So it took me about you know, six, eight months to sort of clear it from my system. And by that stage, I was uh, overworking in service stations. So I took a job as, and it was the best job of my life. It only went for a year, but I worked at a local brewery. Uh, there was a, a brew by you, which was a, you know, essentially people walked in and made beer there. And I was the brewer, so I helped them through the procedure and then we looked after it and fermented it out and bottled it up for them and they would come along and, and take it away several weeks later when it was ready. Uh, and I did that for a year and I was, that was the absolute best job that I've ever had because my entire day was taken up with making beer and talking to people about making beer. Yeah. And unlike all the customers in the service stations who were there because they have to buy fuel, you know, it's a, they call it a grudge buy. You know, you've got to be in there because you've got to get fuel. Whereas if you're walking into some place to, to make beer, you're there because you want to make beer. You like beer. And so you're a happy person in a happy place. So I had the best customers and uh, the best job for about a year until the uh, business got sold and um, it actually closed and the, the person that bought the business uh, stripped out all the machinery and, and sold it off because it was uh, they wanted to wanted to start another one further down south um, and they buying this business and the second hand machinery was cheaper than buying the machinery brand new so it closed uh, I worked for a, a year or so uh, in a for a, a migrant uh, support group um, that helped the, the UNHCR, the Human Rights Organization, to relocate refugees. So I worked there for that year, 18 months, uh, doing my department was called the Basic Household Goods. So I would go around town buying secondhand sofas and beds and tables and stuff. So when the migrants, when the refugees landed in Townsville, somebody would find them a home to rent and I would fill it up with all of their requirements for, for the, the household goods. And, um, and someone else would enroll their kids in school and that sort of thing. So I did that for a, about, yeah, say about 18 months. And then the, there's a government change policy and they released quite a lot of uh, single blokes from one of the offshore detention centres and so for the next year or so a lot of the migrant resource people were relocating single men and they generally locate them in the major cities rather than in the regional areas where families went to uh, so work dropped off um, and we'd had uh, we'd had a cyclone come through 
yeah, Cyclone Yasi, which was Category 5 when it crossed the coast up the road from us. And this, the winds we got here in Townsville were still sort of Category 2. So the trees blowing around, we had no electricity for uh, nine days um, where we are. Some places were worse. I think there were places that were out of power for months. Um, so during that time, I spent a lot of time, if I had spare time, chopping chopping up trees for people and clearing stuff. And then when the work dropped off uh, in town, I just sort of said, well, I could just start my own business doing the sort of vegetation management out here. And, and so for the last 10 years or so, I've been yeah, mowing lawns and brush cutting and spraying chemicals on trees and chopping down things and chopping up things and all the fun things. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been. Yeah, that's 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 where I am now. So if it wasn't raining, I'd be out mowing. But uh, we had six inches of rain on no five inches of rain. Sorry, on Saturday night, and we've had about another inch last night. And we had oh a huge amount the other day. I think I told you we had about twenty inches over four or five days. Um, two weeks ago. So everything's very green and very wet at the moment. So uh, lawn mowers get very bogged. So I just stay doing nothing, uh, essentially, listening to podcasts about people on riverboats um, until the, everything dries up enough for me to get it back out and mow. And then it'll be full steam ahead until the next lot of rain. I'm yeah. glad I could fill your time. I'm a little jealous, though. You work for yourself and you're in a hammock on a Monday afternoon. <laughs> on your yeah, porch yeah. in the rain. Yeah, well, that's there's that's, that's a bit of a, a limit. The uh, a couple of years ago, Townsville had a big flood. We had uh, some places had about two meters of rain in about two weeks. Um, so the our major river, the Ross River, flooded. People's houses went underwater, um, uh, and. It's essentially, I sat in the hammock for two weeks watching the rain and we got anywhere between four and six inches of rain a day, every day for about two weeks straight. And I just sat in my hammock and watched and listened to podcasts. So um, it's a sort of my default position. There. It's like, oh, it's raining. I'm going to go downstairs, sit in the hammock and and, uh, and chill. So, yeah. It sounds pretty lovely. Uh, does your wife work? Oh, yes, she's uh, my wife works for a, a non government uh, natural resource management organization. She's okay. an environmental scientist. Okay. So they do uh, land management plans and things for, for farms and businesses. Uh, she's got projects for revegetation of native habitat. Um, she was working on the the black throat French finch project until last year, which is helping farmers uh, assist the and the one of the endangered birds around here by modifying some of their farming practices to make it better for the for the birds. You know, planting species of grasses that have smaller seeds because they're finches and they can't eat really big seeds, um, and you know the there's a government grants to help them fence off paddocks to stop erosion. And there's, you know, those sort of things. There's an intermediary organization that 
allows farmers to get you know, uh, twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of work done, um, as long as it meets the sort of environmental requirements that the that the grant money's there. So she's worked for them for ten or eleven years. Um, yeah, so she's worked in an office. So if it rains, she has to say she has to still go to work. Uh, although she does do uh, field visits to some of her sites because they're yeah, one of her projects at the moment is beach scrub, which sounds as it is. It's the scrubby little trees and stuff that that live just up from the the beach, like within fifty meters of the of the high tide mark. So right. some of her project sites are a couple of hundred kilometers away. She'll go down camp for a couple of days in the in the bush, do uh, vegetation analysis and and check for weeds and you know biodiversity type conditions, etc. Come back, write reports and yeah. How old uh, did you say your daughter is? My daughter is just turned nineteen. Um, turned nineteen, yeah, only a couple of days ago. And is she drawn to anything academically, or or uh, is her career? path known yet uh she yeah 